Good morning, everyone. Everybody good? Anyone started making Christmas sweets? Are Okay. <laughs> okay, at least soaked the fruit in some good old... Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so we are, we are in our Advent series. And uh, Lassia told us about a priest and how he handled hope, right? Uh, Colin gave us the, you know, the um, crux of the Christmas message. And today we're going to look at some people that we don't normally talk about when we talk about the Christmas story. You know, who are the people we talk about when we talk about the Christmas story? Anyone? Mary, of course. Mary, did you know? You know? Joseph, the wise men, shepherds, Jesus. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> the innkeeper, maybe. But we're going to look at some two different people today. Okay? Now, we've all watched movies, right? Anybody here a movie buff? I think most of us now with Netflix and Prime and what have you. And I think this is common knowledge that movies are not shot with one camera. Are they? There are many. I don't even know how many, but I'm assuming there's a front angle, there's a rear angle, there are side angles, there's probably an aerial shot as well. So there are many angles from which they show you the story. And... I look at the four Gospels like that, of different cameras positioned differently, telling the same story, but from different perspectives, different angles, trying to draw your attention. The lens, the camera, is draw, always drawing your attention to something. And that's what the four Gospels are doing. And we're going to be looking at this story from the eyes of two people that we don't normally talk about and from the eyes of cameraman Luke. Okay? So Luke, why is Luke writing this letter? He's writing to a Roman official, Theophilus, who probably was a Christ follower. And Luke, being a doctor, and the reason why he's writing, he is writing a very thorough documentation to help Theophilus be certain of what was taught and in some ways to present the authentication or to authenticate this new faith that people were following. So let's, as I said, we're going to look at two different people. We looked at a priest, but today we're going to look at a devout person and we're going to look at a prophet. Who are these people? Let's turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 21 onwards. Luke chapter 2, 21 onwards. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, and the, na the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Pay attention to some of these things, yeah? 
Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what was custom of the law required, Simeon took in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. Wow. Now this man, Simeon, was righteous and devout. And he would regularly go to the temple, waiting for what is termed here as the consolation of Israel. Who uses this word this day, these days? It's an old English word. But I remember in school, it was used in a particular context. Anybody? Yeah? Consolation prize. Okay? Consolation prize. Consolation means comfort. So basically, it's a comfort prize to the one who didn't get the first place. Like, I mean, you were good, you were just not the best, but you were good. Don't worry. Consolation prize. Do you think Jesus is a consolation prize? <laughs> Far from it. Okay? In Isaiah 61, 1 to 2, it says, To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion. So another name for Jesus is the consolation of Israel or the comfort, the awaited comforter of Israel. Now what do we know about Simeon? He's a devout man. That's how Luke describes him. What, do we, what could it mean? It probably meant that he visited the temple regularly, he was prayerful, he kept the law, he kept all the rituals, the feasts, he was very, um, what would you say, particular about this. He kept the Sabbath, he lived a righteous life. Do we know whether he's married or not? No, you're right. But let's assume that in those days, they didn't have to mention it because men got married. It was just normal. Okay? I like that, Ari. You can talk back to me. It's okay. Okay? Uh, it could also be that in that culture, it was assumed, like I said, that he was married. So they didn't need to give you that information. But what, we, what are we told? We are told that the Holy Spirit spoke to him in his heart. That he would not die until he saw the Messiah. Imagine getting a word like that. What would you do with it? Would you believe it? We need childlike faith. And that's probably what Simeon had, you know. But now, you know, we can just read it and move along. As I'm saying, pause and think. You're being told 
the savior of the world. You're not going to die till you see him. Think about it. Since the time of Adam, people were waiting. That's thousands of years. Why should he believe that he, it's going to happen in his lifetime? And Simeon waits all his life. It's not happening in his 20s. He's an old, devout man. He was probably as old as Zechariah. Have you ever had a prophetic word, you know, in your life, over your life, that has taken years to come to pass? What have you done with it? Did you forget about it? We'll talk a little bit about that later. But before that, I want you to hear from someone who got two prophetic words very recently. Okay, so part one of Ganesh's story. Ganesh, go ahead. Okay, uh, for all those who were there in Fab, uh, might remember Benny was here. He uh, prophesied on few of us. So he picked me up uh, like he, and he said a uh, prophecy that uh, he asked me if I was in the uh, creative field, which uh, I was thinking, I'm, am I? And I thought, okay, fine. He said, uh, I don't know if you are in the creative field, but uh, there is something you're going to do. Uh, and uh, when you complete it, you would be like, this is not what you wanted to do. And, uh, but you will be amazed by what you have done and you will not believe that you have done it. And uh, I was like, okay, oh, I just took in and I was just relating it to my wife because she is uh, in the field of creativity. She works with macrame and things. So I said it's for us and I completely forgot about it. And months passed by, uh, month of October, uh, Kavita came to preach and uh, she was preaching on creativity and she used a presentation, you know, and uh, through the presentation I could uh, see some things that uh, could relate to the prophecy that was given and uh, I started, uh, you know, thinking about it, then I saw Karen sitting in there and Karen had prophesied. So the prophecies linked and uh, it just suddenly striked me that, you know, what this has come through. And I was amazed. And we'll hold the story there. Break ke baad. <laughs> okay? So, what did Simeon do? And I say, in the waiting, what do we do? We work in the waiting. Waiting in the biblical sense is not passive. Okay? It's engaging with all that you are doing presently to, to what you're supposed to do with gladness, with hope in your heart, where you believe that you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Okay? So, for example, if God has spoken about using you in worship, what do you do? Nobody's going to suddenly call you and say, hey, come play the guitar and you'll hold it and suddenly the fingers will fall in place and you'll start strumming magically. No. You say, okay, if God's going to use me in worship, find out, is it vocal? Is it instrumental? And then you start learning, you start practicing, you start honing that skill in the quiet place. Isn't that what David did? 
He played his harp in the field. He sang to the Lord. He sang. God was preparing him in a quiet place. And that's what God does with most of us. Okay? Allow him to shape your character, to shape your gift. The same goes whether it's leadership or it's preaching or whatever it is God has spoken to you about. Now, Samuel, I mean, sorry, Simeon did not stop going to the temple. When 10 years had passed, 20 years had passed, 30 years had passed, 40 years had passed, 50 years had passed, 60 years had passed, 70 years had passed. This man is probably in his 80s. God, we don't know when God spoke to him, when he was probably quite young. And it was natural for him to feel that he would encounter the Messiah in the temple. Now, my story. You may say, how many of you have waited for something for five years? Ten years? Twenty? Thirty? Forty? Well, we're not that old yet. Okay? Yeah. So I had to wait 30 plus years. When I was in my 20s, and actually earlier, but let's say when I, where God spoke to me in my heart was when I was very, very young, that he would use me in worship. And like Mary, I treasured it in my heart. I didn't say it to anyone until prophetic words came to me in my 20s. Uh, and of the dimension. But... That happened only when I was 50. What did I do in the meantime? Did I not play? Did I not sing? Did I not lead? I think you know that's not true because I'm up here every Sunday singing and leading and worshiping. When God spoke to me, I would write songs. It happened maybe 25 years after the prophetic words, and for various reasons. My friends, my encouragement, because we live in an age, na, do salo gaya, bas, abhi bhoat ho gaya, tang ho gaya, we say, pardon my Hindi, okay? But we say, ah, how much to wait? Can you wait like Simeon? 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you will be tested. Everybody will be tested. God is no respecter of persons. Take word of grace. For the first few years, five people, ten people, if we were 25, it was a day to rejoice. God, give us 25 people. God, give us 30 people. God, can we have 40 on a Sunday? God, can we push that 50 mark? God, how about 75? And it just, we just kept doing that, doing that doing that. There were prophetic words that this hall would be filled. We could not imagine. When you're just, a, just that much people, how can you imagine this hall filled? Till last year, Christmas, we were over full. It started happening. When we had the Friendship Sundays and the Christmas mornings, 100 guests, 110 guests. Last year was a record of 130, if I'm not mistaken. We were packed. God keeps his promise. Can we hold on to it? Okay? 
Then came a day like no other, it says in verse 27. Simeon, moved by the Holy Spirit, went to the temple. Maybe it was not his usual day to go. That's why the emphasis, he was moved by the Spirit to go. It was not on the calendar for him to go. He arrives at the exact time Mary and Joseph are there. Is not God in charge of time? You know, though he functions out of the construct of time, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. Time was created for us. But it is in that context, God is bang on time. You know, what I see is Simeon lived so in tune with the Holy Spirit. He could have missed the prompting, ignored it, thinking, eh, today is not my day to go to the temple. I'll sit at home, you know. But he went. Had he not gone, he would have missed being a part of history being recorded, part of the history that's recorded. So my takeaway here is be alert to when God speaks. It may look ordinary, maybe like your daily Bible reading, coming to church, going to your gym, attending a prayer meeting, because you don't, these are all <coughs> what we call the means of grace. You can miss out on that means of grace where God has something for you. Yes, we know God is a gracious God. Okay? But we need to be alert. <coughs> Another story that's linked to Pune. You know, we, in 2001, we began to feel our season in Mumbai was coming to a close. And we think, God, is this is, is it something more? What do you want of us? And by then, Colin was making trips to Pune because we had a group of people gathering here. And there were people coming in rotation to help out this little group <coughs> that were meeting. And we were saying, should we consider Pune? What is it? Hey, what's that? Oh, thanks. Um, should we consider Pune? And we said, mm, let's see. We've always moved when God has spoken. So let's pray. Uh, 2001, uh, November, Jessica was born. Jan, we had a conference. Now, uh, from the age of 15, I have always been in the band, <coughs> playing some instrument or the other, always. So every conference, everything, I was always there. But since Jessica was barely two months old, I said, I'm going to sit this one out. I can't do the practices and all of that. And they were teaching some new songs. And I was in and out of the conference because she was just two months. I was nursing her and not really fully focused. They opened the conference with a, a new song. And I said, hmm, nice song. And, you know, and, I, and I had said, God, speak to me at this conference. Say something like, you have stayed long enough on this mountain. Now it's time to break camp and go. You know, it's that famous uh, scripture. Conference got over and I said, hmm. Nothing like this was said. Maybe God doesn't want us to go to Pune. The next Sunday, Colin had gone to Pune. I went to church with the kids. Um, and I was still on break from the band, so I was sitting uh, behind. And they said, hey, let's sing this song we learned at the conference. 
And there it starts. There's a call to the people of Zion to arise and to possess the land. You know, uh, and the fourth line says, you have stayed long enough on this mountain. And those words leaped out of the, those days, OHP. And I was undone. And I said, oh my God, it was there. It was there at the conference and I missed it. But God, being a gracious God, spoke again. And for a split second, I thought, if I don't tell anybody about this, no one will know and we don't need to move. Because in our minds, Pune was like, God, please don't send us to this village. You know, we are Mumbaikers. How are we ever going to manage? And I said, no. And I'll never be able to live with myself and my conscience. Cut a long story short, we are here. There were many prophetic words that subsequently came to Colin, to myself, from people who didn't know anything that we were contemplating Pune. So pay attention when God is speaking. Because my friends, you can miss out. You really can. Okay, this is not about salvation. This is about fulfilling God's promises in your life. Another story. Going back, 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 even before kids and marriage, youth camp 1990. I almost didn't go. I didn't want to go. But I felt the urge to go, go register. And then the pastor then, Arun, says, Nawaz, I really feel you need to come to this camp. I said, okay, Arun, sign me in. You know, apart from the many things that God did at that camp, I met Mr. De Cruz. And the rest is history. <laughs> okay? Had I not gone to that camp, who knows? Because he was the catch. <laughs> okay? So, Simeon obeyed the promptings. His long-awaited hope was fulfilled. He went to the temple. Did he know what to look for? We don't know. Was he to look for a grown man, a baby? We don't know. But once he entered the temple, he was drawn to this young couple who had come to dedicate their baby. And we can only marvel at the accuracy of the Holy Spirit if we are only willing to listen and obey. So Ganesh, can you complete your story, please? Okay, uh, to cut the, the long story short, uh, for, for this prophecy to happen, there's a lot that has happened, but I'll make it very short. For, so this year, I got an opportunity to go to UK, which we uh, were not planning. We had to do because my aunt was not keeping well. So, uh, and I went for almost 40 days with my wife. I got leaves, but she was still working. And she was working from home. And I wasn't doing anything when she was working. So my uncle, he, he asked me, do, do you know pyrography? I said, uh, I'm not aware of that. And he said, just look up and uh, let me know if you want to give it a try. So, I, uh, so pyrography is an art with uh, wood and fire. So you uh, burn uh, on a wood. So uh, I said, okay, let me give it a try. I did some practice and uh, he quickly made an appointment with a professional down the road. He said, uh, let's meet her, she's a professional. And I was like, okay, fine, let's go and meet her. And uh, got to see that lady was all ready, not to just talk to me, but to train me. 
and uh, she happened to train me on that and she's like okay fine now you start burning on the wood and uh, i was like i i don't even know okay i am here to help you and i started burning on the wood uh, to you know to draw something and uh, i'm just doing and she's just letting me know this uh, uh, techniques how to do and the time comes i complete with it and i am just looking at the work that i did and i'm like uh, did i do this and i could not believe that you know i could uh, uh, do something such a nice artwork then she said yes you did it and uh, i was very much uh, surprised because i could not believe at all and i said my wife will not believe this she was at home uh, working so i took the canvas i went home i showed her she's like no you didn't do it so she had to come back with me to meet this lady and she's like yes she, he did it then in that time during my uh, time in uk i got i got some commission works and you know some things to try i did a couple of more work and uh, and uh, i found out that you know it it is it was in me but i wasn't aware of it and uh, some way or the other um, we ha- we got all the equipments i need for it and uh, we've come we came back to india and i've got couple of commission jobs also after that and uh, yes and that's there and i had completely forgotten until uh, kavita was preaching and things connected and i was like yes this exactly the same thing i did it and i could not believe something i could do and that happened so yes i want to give thanks to the lord and praise him for this that's it amen what thank you ganesh why am i giving you stories from here because sometimes we can think oh this is in the bible it's for people 2000 years ago no i want to show you he's a god who speaks today he speaks to your heart to mine he is still the god who speaks if we are only willing to listen so we work in the waiting we worship in the waiting Simeon takes this baby in his arms imagine holding god incarnate in your hands and he pray, prays a prayer of thanksgiving acknowledging god for fulfilling his promise and then he makes a prophetic declaration in line with scripture <coughs> a light to the gentiles and what did jesus call himself i am the light of the world where else do you see this thing of light being mentioned in isaiah 63 okay it says all the nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn okay jesus the light of the world you see the jews unfortunately were very myopic all they were thinking of was consolation of israel but god's plan was so much bigger it included the nations it included the gentiles okay all the nations will come to your light and he predicts to some measure simeon does you know uh, the messiah's extraordinary life that he would expose systems and he says hearts where they would either accept him or reject him He also says that this child would cause much sorrow to his mother in some ways indicating his death. Now the camera pans 
in another direction. And let's look at verse 36. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was old and she lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming upon them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph of Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. Now for some reason, Luke gives us far more information about Anna than Simeon, and I'll tell you why. Track with what Luke is doing. First century Jewish culture, where the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they have now added so many more laws, laws that were so restrictive where women were concerned. She was not allowed to be heard in public. She was not considered a reliable witness. She was not supposed to mingle with men and all kinds of things, okay? Simeon did not need any character certificate other than he was devout. But Anna needed something more to be said about her to establish her credibility. She was the daughter of Penuel, of Penuel who was from the tribe of Asher, so we know she's a Jew. She was married for seven years and then a widow the rest of her life. Now, some commentaries say she was a widow for 84 years. Some say she was 84 years old. Whichever way it is, she was old. Because if she was a widow for 84 years, she probably got married at 13 or 14. She was 100 plus. Okay? Here's another thing to her credit. She spent all her days worshipping in the temple. She was known by the regulars, by the priests who served in the temple. What did she do? She worshipped and prayed and fasted regularly. In verse 38, we are told she was prompted by the Holy Spirit. Maybe as an old lady, it was her custom to walk up to families that had newborns, come there to dedicate, to just look at them, coo, you know, poor old ladies do. But here, when she went up to Mary and Joseph, she felt prompted in her heart. And she did not keep quiet. She knew this was the Messiah. She doesn't keep the news to herself. She go, it says she tells the people around her. And maybe this is how Luke came to know as well. And that is how it came to be recorded in history. You know, what was revealed to these people was huge. So many people in that day were probably claiming they were the Messiah. And then people got fed up. Every time there's somebody saying he's the Messiah, he's the Messiah, all rubbish. And people forgot, people gave up, even though they were still waiting, because also they were waiting for some kind of Moses kind of person who would come and deliver them, a political leader, someone who would lead an insurrection, overthrow the Romans. That's what the Jews were looking for. They weren't looking for a baby. 
Nobody was looking for a baby, you know? I remember in the 80s, the whole thing of the second coming. Oh, Jesus is coming. 1980s, the year Jesus is coming. So many people gave up their jobs, sold their houses saying Jesus is coming. Okay? They didn't read scripture well. Because scripture also tells us about the second coming, nobody knows. They got it wrong. Okay? But here, it was a different story. Okay? So I think it's no coincidence that the three people in our story that we've looked at and who are part of the story were old. There was Zechariah, who we heard about, the priest, this devout person, Simeon, and this prophet or prophetess, Anna. They represent the era that was closing. The old covenant was coming to an end. And the Messiah was now upon them. Advent, the coming. They represented the last covenant people. It also shows that the coming of Jesus was not in conflict with the old covenant. He came to fulfill the law and what the prophets foretold. That is why, did you see Luke saying, as was recorded in the law, according to the law. Theophilus, listen, this is not a band of insurrection. Uh, people just you know, create rabble-rousers, creating an insurrection. This is a legitimate religion. It has its history in the Old Covenant. According to the law, a light to the Gentiles. According to the law, the promised Messiah. According to the law, he, kept, he keeps saying this. You see, things are not written there just by chance. He is showing this new faith has its roots in Jewish history. So, what can we take away from today's two people? Two people that waited silently in hope. They had a long wait that spanned decades. Do you see any trace of bitterness, lethargy, despondency? No. Why should we wait? Why should we wait? Because all God's promises are yes and amen. He's not a man that he should lie. How should we wait? In prayer, in worship, in hope. Where should we wait? In his presence. What do we do in the waiting? Continue to do what you were always doing. Do it as unto the Lord. Don't do it because you want thanks from people. Don't do it because you want acknowledgement from people. Don't do it because you want the platform. You want prominence. You want a ministry. Can you serve God silently? It is up to him whether he exalts you or he says, you will serve silently for the rest of your life. Are you still willing? Are you still willing? Today's modern day Christianity has done our heads in with the big platform. And we think only that is valid ministry. And everybody is hankering for the mic, for the stage, for the this. And when they don't get it, I'm going to another church. Here nobody is acknowledging my gift. We've seen people do that and shipwreck their faith. We serve 
to the audience of one and only one. His name is Jesus. Can we do that? What happens when we don't wait well? We can create an Ishmael. We can create a golden calf. Or we can lose our destiny like Saul who gave into pressure. Let's be people who are fine-tuned to the Holy Spirit. Okay? I don't want to miss out on God's call on my life because I was not paying attention to his voice. I don't want to miss out because I got fed up of waiting and missed out on the cues of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to miss out because I gave into doubt and bitterness. I don't want to miss out because I think I know better and I try to create my own path and make things happen in the flesh. Have you done any of these? Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. But if you have and you've got, you've got tired of waiting, that's the big one, I think, for most of us. Let's come back to God in repentance and say, God, like these people, even if I have to wait 50, 60, 70 years, can I wait with gladness? Can I wait with faithfulness? Can I continue to serve you with the same passion and the same devotion? Let's pray. Let's stand. Let there be a response in our hearts to God this morning. How many of you have had a prophetic word over your life? You have? Okay. Are there words that you're still waiting for? Yeah, how many of you are still waiting? Yeah. Now, can you take that back to God? Okay? Just offer it back to God and say, God, you spoke. I want to be a good steward in the waiting. I don't want to lose heart. I don't want to be discouraged. But I will prepare myself that when that day comes, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay? Come. Holy Spirit, thank you that you always speak a timely word to us. And I pray in the waiting, we will not be discouraged. But we will keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. God, that we will serve you with all our heart, mind, soul and strength. We will not look for people's affirmation or approval. But we will live to serve you and you alone and to hear well done from you, Jesus. Help us in the waiting, God, that we will work and we will worship with hope in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.